It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome to Hard Hats and High Viz. Week 14 of our show, Jack, we've been through the uh, election and we've come out the other end. Uh, joining me today is Hong Kong Jack. G'day, Jack. How are you? G'day, Jack. Uh, yes, and look, as usual, we uh, enjoy your feedback and we encourage it. Don't we, Jack? Even when it's a bit mean. Well, I quite like the mean stuff. That's stuff. I've, I've been very disappointed so far. There's been far too much yeah, nice look, stuff. death threats, whatever you want. You know, <laughs> uh, you can throw it all at us and... And the way to do that is to uh, is to hit us up on the conditional release um, uh, conditional release program at gmail.com. It's got a the in front of it. Uh, if you like what you're listening to as well, give us a review on your podcast app. And of course, you can hit me up on Jack the Insider. My DMs are always open. Um, so give us a shout out if you like what you hear. If you don't, uh, don't be afraid to drop us a line. We will. Put it in the show uh, and not even censor it, Jack. Not even the bad words, the, the horrible words, the swearing, the abuse. That could all uh, go in. All, all can go in, yeah, good on you. Um, all right. So last week it was a bit odd. that There was a lot of criticism in the media and from the opposition about Anthony Albanese being in the Ukraine. And we did talk about this and we decided it was a bit of a photo op for Elbo. Um uh, he'd just come from from a NATO meeting, um, uh, and then uh, Angus Taylor, uh, among other uh, liberal uh, identities, came forward to say that Albo should have been home during the Sydney floods, Jack. It's all a bit much, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose that's a bit of a reaction to the kerfuffle over uh, Morrison being in Hawaii when the bushfires were raging. Look, there's a bit of difference, though, isn't there? There's a little bit of difference between Hawaii, Waikiki Beach, and uh, walking around a war zone. Yeah, there is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> but, but but politicians are always going to have have a crack at each other. That's that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I know. But what's what's what was really sort of odd was that uh, it transpired that Peter Dutton was actually overseas with his wife in the US, and I think it's kind of got that sort of official visit. I'm going to visit a few places anyway as opposition leader. Well, I think he said, I, I saw, the, saw the piece in the paper about this. He said he was going to the US-Australia leadership dialogue in Washington on the trip, but other, other than that, it was holiday. Um, and about that, I would say the job of opposition leader and the job of prime minister are quite different. Um, uh, and uh, I don't think... You sure he's not just... Speaking, you sure he's not just calling in on this place just to uh, to, um, to, pay to, for the, to, to pay for the pay, airline tickets? He, he could be, could be. <laughs> they often do. It's an old stunt, isn't it? It is. You know that yeah. you, you you have a lovely trip in uh, into Europe or the United States and go. Oh look, I'll uh, I'll do a little bit of business while I'm here and then charge it all back. It's not. It's not something that's restricted to politicians. It's, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. But in our politics, it's. It's we, the taxpayer, who pay for these things. And so there are these sort of get-outs for, uh, for all of our representative politicians, and particularly those at the pointy end, 
Yeah, uh, but 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 the, but the jobs are different. The opposition leader's job is different to the prime minister. The prime we, we expect the prime minister to be where he needs to be. The opposition leader can be wherever he wants to be, really, as long as he's you know um, as long as he's doing some kind of a job of you know being an opposition leader. Yeah, no, look, that's absolutely right. But it did mean that the Angus Taylor criticisms sort of fell a bit flat when it turned out. Uh, where's your boss, by the way, today? Ah, oh, um, um, he's in that's, the states. So it all the, sort of that, it was kind of amusing. That's the um, risk of politics. That's how it works. And I, if you have know. a crack, you, you might get one back. You know. Yeah, oh, Angus. Uh, I think Angus, I'm not even sure that he knew because there were, there were a number of others. Some of the Liberal women, like Jane Hume, had a crack. I mean, one or two others uh, stepped forward and said, do you actually know your bosses overseas at the moment? Um, and, of course, there is that sort of holiday period, not so much for an incoming government, um, but you do see this post-election, don't you, that a lot of pollies will take a bit of time off because uh, they've just run themselves ragged in a campaign. There, there is a post-losing election holiday period for most yeah. for most uh, people who go out of government that after some years of the grind, of um, the daily grind of being in government, they need to get away and, uh, and refresh. Now, look, there's been further criticism from within the media, uh, particularly press gallery, those who attended and, and journeyed around uh, uh, Europe and, and uh, in Ukraine in particular with, uh, with Elbow, uh, that uh, basically there's not enough support. It wasn't in, particular, in this particular case. It wasn't enough support uh, around the PM to keep journalists informed and I just want to talk about that in a minute, but just just uh, uh, I just want to give you some background. This was in the Oz Media story today, uh, the 11th of July. Since winning the election in May, Elbow's office has undergone some significant changes. Long-time press secretary and ex-political journo, Matthew Franklin. G'day, Matthew. Good man. Who had been Albanese's main press flack for almost a decade, left unexpectedly leaving a distinct lack of actual newsroom experience among the Labor's, Labor leaders' crew. Press office is now led by Liz Fitch, who I don't know, and the PM has sought to bolster his team's media credentials with the recent appointment of former TV political coros from the uh, from SBS, Brett Mason. Uh, on the recent uh, European trip, tensions between the PMO and the press back came to a head in the foyer of an upmarket Paris Hotel after Albanese had met with French President Emmanuel Macron. The journos uh, alive to the likelihood that Elba was planning to travel to Ukraine to meet Zelensky quizzed one of the PM senior staff as to whether there were any updates on the possibility of such a visit and what pool arrangements might be in place for the media. And in front of a group of 10 journalists, the Albanese staff have said, I don't have any more updates for you and now I'm going shoe shopping. Well, you are in Paris. So, you know, that's kind of what you're doing. I'm, I'm guessing that's not a bloke. Uh, <laughs> I'm, well, maybe, you know, it is Paris. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah but, uh, yeah, so you might just want to explain how important it is to have that connection between the PMO and the press pack. Jack. Well, it's good if it works, um, but it doesn't always work that well. And I, 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 I don't know that I'm a fan of the media um, uh, getting their knickers in a knot about whether they were told this or told that in time. You know? um, <laughs> it does. It does seem a lot like, well, here we are in an upmarket Parisian hotel, Jack, and they're, they're jacking up. Why, why don't they just go, look, 
I'll fire later and uh, go back to my room and order croissants. Well, no. Um, uh, some of the press gallery journalists that we both know from years ago would have said, well, that's it for us. We're off for a long lunch. <laughs> exactly right. That would be, yeah. be the, oh, So nothing? Okay. All right. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll cobble something together for later yeah. on and, yeah. uh, and then I'm off for a drink. I'm off yeah, for a bit but, of sightseeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, let's give that expense account a workout. Look, how important is uh, a relationship between between the media and the PMO? I mean, famously, when we go back to Paul Keating's uh, days as PM, he believed uh, that uh, uh, when he won the Unwinnable in 93, he didn't know the media or anything because the media had been kicking him around for the previous year and a half. Uh, and then... Uh, and then basically you saw a media scorn and uh, and then writes some uh, they've become very very critical of him in the, in the following years so it's this kind of almost unnatural relationship that exists isn't it uh, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours it is a bit uh, overlaid with the elements of being in a primary school schoolyard <laughs> Yeah, people, you know, having best friends and falling out and all that sort of stuff. Sorry, I'm still getting past this. Because you're in Paris. You have nothing to do and you're complaining about it. You have nothing <laughs> officially right. to do and you're yeah. complaining about it. Yeah. Oh, well, I've got a couple of, couple of good mates in Paris. Paul Ham over there. I would have caught up with Paul and we would have had a lovely night out. Mm. Um Yes, all right. Look, one of the stories that uh, that really created a lot of uh, a lot of correspondence on my email account, not necessarily related to the show, was the Commonwealth dropping the prosecution of Bernard Colliery, the former uh, ACT Attorney General, uh, in private practice. Um, uh, and uh, this is a protracted matter that goes back over years, with the Commonwealth seeking to prosecute him essentially. Um, for uh, facilitating the um, dissemination of uh, of, intel- of, of, uh, of of confidential secret uh, Australian secrets, um, and uh, you might just want to give us a little bit of a background on that, Jack, with uh, Timor Lest. Well, um, the Australian government decided that it wanted. They were in the process of of agreeing what's called a Certain Maritime Arrangements Treaty, CMATS, I think it is, um, and um, which was a, a, a treaty regarding the, uh, the, the what happened to the gas that's in, yes. the, in, the, in the sea between Timor and Darwin, basically. Um, and um, as part of the negotiations, they decided to bug the, um, the cabinet room in, uh, in Timor, in Dili, um, and they did this, as I understand it, um, by offering to have the Australian government pay for refurbishment of the uh, of the government offices there. And, and while they were doing that, they popped in the bugs. Um, yes, and, they bugged. Um, they bugged uh, they, they, because these meetings were being held in um, in Timor Leste. Timor Leste. Then they they bugged. Uh, I, I think uh, two official uh, two official officers. I think it wasn't the they parliament. Did. And uh, and that was done by ASIS Jack, and that's the um, the ASIO uh, sibling, uh, intelligence sibling that does all the does Offshore all the work. dark work overseas. Yeah, it does. It does indeed. Um, this is um, 
our listeners mightn't agree with this, but this is kind of normal behaviour to try and do this sort of stuff. This is what we pay them for. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so basically, what, what Australia, what the Australian government was trying to do was discern the Timor-Leste position on um, on these uh, on, on these gas. Uh, oceanic gas um, deposits uh, in order to get hold of them and mine them. So what we're talking about here is the national interest, or at least a perception of it, isn't it? And that the Foreign Minister, Alexander Downer at the time, he was basically going to bat for Australia's interest, which meant ripping off the people and the government of Timor-Leste. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were ripping them up. What, what, what they were doing was trying to find out what the Timor position was internally within the Timorese yeah, government. Give, giving them an advantage in yeah, to negotiations. Give them, give them an advantage in negotiations or to give them a heads up as to what to expect. Um, now, whether that means they ripped off, um, that's, a, that's a different question, whether they were using it to rip off the Timorese or whether they were um, acting in, in the interests of Australia. So that's a that's a whole separate yeah, question. Yeah, it, it, it is that sort of, you know, very murky sort of yeah. business of of what is the national interest. It and is. And whenever I, anything that ASIS involved, is involved with is going to look a little bit murky to most Australians, I agree with that. But that's just the reality of life in um, uh, in foreign relations and international affairs. You remember the ASIS... Um you remember the ASIS kerfuffle in, in Melbourne, Jack, where they went on their training exercise and wor- worrying around waving guns at people? Do you remember that? It was, yes. Yeah, 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 I do. <laughs> it was the the little hotel that's now gone um, uh, uh, down Just on Spring Street right. there. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. Uh, and, and and made a bit of a mess of things. That was during the early years of the Hawke government. And I, I don't think until that time people actually knew who ASIS was. That's probably right. Um, and, and and both ASIS and ASIO are a lot more public now than they used to be. They were almost mm. not acknowledged in the old days. Um, I think the Australian got this right um, uh, this morning, um, uh, that the intelligence community um, is kind of divided over whether um, the prosecutions of Witness K. Um, Witness K, by the way, was the person who placed the bugs or who organised. Was, was part the of the group that did, yeah, did, did that. Um, and, and and Bernard Collery, who was his lawyer, that's what he was being prosecuted for on a conspiracy charge. Um, uh, I. Th- I think it's probably fair to say that the intelligence community is divided over whether those prosecutions were right or wrong. Mm. Um, uh, we do know uh, that Witness K actually pleaded guilty. He did. Um, uh, <coughs> and, uh, because it was a straightforward matter. I think, I, think he, I think he got three years suspended, wholly suspended. That's right. No, no custodial yeah. sentence. Yeah. Um, but, yes, uh, what he was uh, – what, what, it, it was a straightforward matter. In, in his case, I mean, he had released material did that you, was he, secret he and did. confidential. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, and, and I think he acknowledged that. So, what where this came uh, sort of to a head in terms of law enforcement activity was uh, that Witness K and um, and Bernard Collery, his his lawyer, were, were both going over to the Hague, where Timor Leste was seeking um, some form of order. Uh, from the World Court. Um, a rap on the knuckles for Australia for spying. For doing a bit of naughty stuff. And yeah. and so the so the Wallopers turned up at Collery's home and at Witness K's home, seized their passports and charged them. 
It's a long yeah. time ago, and it just seems to be almost a sort of Kafkaesque sort of experience now for Bernard Colliery, who is a highly respected lawyer and so forth. So last week, um, Attorney General uh, Attorney General Mark Dreyfus said, my decision was informed by the government's commitment to Australia's national security and our relations with our neighbours. This is an exceptional case. And it was basically at his discretion that the prosecution was dropped. Yeah. Mark Dreyfus was uh, Attorney General during part of this process in an earlier stage. So, um, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an unusual situation, you know. So, so where do we go from where do we go from uh, from now, Jack? Um, um, it, it, will Bernard Collery be compensated? That's very hard to say um, uh, from the outside. Um, uh, I should imagine he'll have all his costs paid. Um, uh, whether uh, he gets an excratia payment beyond that, I don't know. Could he sue the government? Or should uh, he? He could. He could, but he might not win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the process has really almost taken twenty years, and he's been under charge now. As you say, well, Dreyfus was was AG briefly in what are we talking about twenty ten? Um, yeah. Uh, so it's been going on that long. Um, so is it a case, Jack? I suppose if we wanted to sum this sum this up as a decent Attorney General making a decent decision. Um, look, I think it's better that it's over. Yeah. I think it's been allowed to go on too long. That's that's certainly true. It just seemed to drag on unnecessarily. Certainly in the case of Colliery, it, it just it just seemed that the, the, the government, the previous government, was just uh, being um, being wrong headed about it, being stubborn. Well, well, well. I think they were under pressure from at least part of the intelligence community who said we just can't tolerate this stuff. We just can't tolerate the leaking of of internal intelligence matters. And, and there is a point to be made about that. The ASIS, and, and this is not peculiar to Australia, all of the foreign intelligence services around the world do some murky stuff. And it's in the interests of those countries and, and of ours, when it's our people, um, to not um, sp- spread that across the front pages of newspapers. Did you, you might, so I should have mentioned this earlier, but the, the head of ASIS, Turned up on seven thirty a couple of weeks ago for an interview. I saw him. Did you see? It's rather yeah, like, like I say. There was a time when they, it wasn't like MI five and MI six, where the British government sort of denied they existed, despite everyone knowing where the office was. Um, uh, you know, but but ASIS wasn't quite denied in the same way. But it was at least discreet. And the idea of an ASIS, head of ASIS appearing on the seven thirty report or TDT back in the day um, uh, was just unheard of. Yeah, well, that was the that was the reason. It's Paul Simon, by the way, is the Director General of ASIS. He's a man with a long uh, military background and intelligence gathering background, spanning thirty five years. For he did a good job on the Seven Thirty Report. I just well, still was, wa- I was, still wondered whether it was wise that he did it. But he was saying we just don't people don't know who we are, uh, and and furthermore they think that we're involved in some because they'd sent out some questionnaires. They'd done a bit of surveying, Jack. And, um, and they came back with some responses that clearly thought, gee, we don't do any of that. I mean, it obviously was, uh, was some fairly horrid perceptions about what they do. 
And um, and so there was there was this sort of attempting because we want to have some, a little bit of publicity, but not too much. I don't know if you remember mm. that. It was quite. That's amusing. always difficult to do. It is a bit. So we should just have publicity to this far, but beyond that, we won't be talking about. Yeah, anything. no, you're better off having none. Yeah, I guess that's the way they have to operate. Uh, it well, is. A- a- anyway, look, well done to uh, well done to the to the current government, I think, and and well done to Bernard Collery uh, for sticking staunch in all of this. It's been you know a hellish episode. <laughs> he must have felt like he was waking up in Kafka's the trial there for a while because it just went on and on and on. Probably the most important thing that occurred last week, Jack, in terms of our national interest, is that Wang met Wang, and that is Penny Wong, our foreign minister, met her Chinese counterpart, Wang Yi, in Bali. And it's the first, really, face-to-face meeting um, between uh, the PRC and Australia for, well, years. Mm, It is. And it's a good thing. Yeah, look, it's, we've got to try and get this right. It's it's really difficult, isn't it? You know, the relationship with China and Australia is very difficult. Before we went air, before we went to air, you said it's a completely different interest, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, uh, completely that's, different perceptions of our national security uh, interests. That's the that's the thing that. Um, it seems to me that a lot of the press don't understand is that different countries have different interests. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not it's not all holding hands and being good buddies. Even even amongst allies, countries have different interests. Yeah, it's not just about banquet journalism sitting down having a good feed and a chat and a, and a photo op afterwards. Um, but Mr. Wang uh, issued. Uh, well, what they call a three-year communication freeze came out of it uh, and uh, said that uh, China was now willing to, and I quote, re-examine and recalibrate the bilateral relationship based on mutual respect. But there was a provision of a four-point list of actions Australia, uh, that uh, Wang Yi believed Australia must take to get the relationship back on the right track. And the first of these was Australia must treat China as a partner rather than a rival. Yeah, okay. Second, the two countries must seek common ground while shelving differences. Yeah, okay. Third, Australia must reject manipulation by a third party. Gee, I wonder who that could be, Jack. Uh, who would be that third party? We'll get back to that in a moment. It's a mystery, yeah. Uh, fourth, both countries must build public support featuring positiveness and pragmatism. So I'd look at those first two and go, yeah, okay, they're, they're not hard to achieve. Well, they're, they're anodyne, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're all a bit anodyne, to be honest. But the third one is Australia must reject its other, its other partnerships uh, including presumably the US when they mention manipulation by a third party, that would be the United States and possibly AUKUS um, and, and, and the UK. It could involve those, those countries, as, that country as well. Um, so that seems a little bit more difficult uh, because there is, you know, therein lies a, a direct conflict between the strategic uh, interests of both countries. And the fourth one, both countries must build, and I'll quote this again, public support featuring positiveness and pragmatism. That just seems like we should um, 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 uh, be a, um, 
be, be a, a promoter of China um, regardless, regardless of their conduct and what they, what they do. So I don't know that third, the third and fourth things are all that e- easy to achieve, Jack. Well, I should imagine um, uh, Minister Wong would, would thank her counterpart for the suggestions and they'd take them on board and give them uh, adequate consideration at an appropriate time. What can we expect from Australia, in terms of Australian response here? I mean, this idea that we re-examine and recalibrate, we basically need to stabilise the relationship. That's that's going to be the first objective, isn't it? Well, I think that the, the the government will be resistant to the idea that the problem with the relationship um, rest rested with the previous government. I think that the, the the Australian government will be saying there are problems with the relationship, yes, um, uh, and they are, are problems that we both have. Yes, well, Pre- President Xi Jinping's senior envoy. Uh, that's Mr Wang himself, blamed the coalition government's irresponsible words, previous government's irresponsible words and deeds for the rupture in the relationship. Now, without getting into the the politics of that, what Australia needs to avoid is, you know, the, the megaphone diplomacy. Yeah, well, I think not just Australia, but the Australians and the Chinese would be better off with a little bit less megaphone. Yeah, they do, they, they, they do reach for the megaphone themselves on occasion, yeah, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And, 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 to, and to be fair, the problems with Australia's relationship with China are not peculiar to Australia. Um, uh, those problems exist with the Chinese relationship with the United States, with Japan and with various Southeast Asian nations as well, and with India. Um, uh, so... Um, we ought to be, you know, doing what a, a good government would do, which is to act in our interests and uh, and to keep an eye on um, our relationships generally, not just with China, but with India and with Japan and the United States and Southeast Asian countries. Yeah, look, that's absolutely right. And and when uh, conversations of a difficult nature occur, they should be, be occurring behind closed doors. Preferably, yes. Uh, when you get to things like human rights, uh, concerns about uh, human rights, uh, uh, that those things should be discussed behind closed doors and, and expressions of concern made, but you don't grab the bullhorn and just yell across uh, across the Pacific. No, there will be there will be matters that um, that both governments will be unhappy with, um, uh, and they and they ought to be addressed behind closed doors as much as possible. Um, when we went to air last week uh, on our Around the World show, our foreign service show, uh, news had just come to hand just as we started recording. That was uh, uh, <coughs> on the 8th of July um, that uh, the longest running, uh, longest serving uh, Prime Minister in Japan, Shinzo Abe, there'd been an assassination attempt. And within about four or five hours of... Uh, of that, those reports coming through, it was announced that Abe had been killed. It's the first assassination that I can recall um, of a major, um, a major political figure for uh, for many, many years, Jack. Yeah, um, that is stretching my memory a little bit. There was the a Scandinavian chap who was shot in a shopping centre. I can't remember how long ago that was. Yeah, that was the, the Swedish uh, Prime Minister. Swedish Prime Minister, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, ex- that is some Again, years ex-Prime ago. Minister, I think, wasn't it? 
what it what it told me, what, you know, I mean, I, I, some weird fascinations, but I do have fascinations around the way things are reported, and and even when you and I were talking about this last Friday, within probably two and a half hours of the incident occurring, um, the the news reporting was kind of all over the shop. There were um, uh, uh, reports that uh, offered different information, often in conflict to one another. I was looking at Japanese news. I looked at uh, the New York Times. I looked at um, um, uh, some of the local news as well. Uh, and there was a great sort of sense of not anyone really not knowing. I mean, they were prov- trying to provide information that I think in the end some of it uh, ended up being um, uh, ended up being junk. Uh, and that's the way things always unfold with these major events. Yeah, people rush um, rush to get in, uh, not in print these days, but rush to get some content up on the screen. Um, yeah. And, um, and sometimes it's just better to be a little bit slower getting up there and, mm. and a little bit more accurate. Yeah, that's right. And, and what, we, what probably was known at the time was that he was not likely to survive his injuries. Yeah. Um, and, and that took a number of uh, hours. I mean, we go all the way back to JFK, Jack. Um, he was, and I, I was watching uh, uh, the Oliver Stone film just briefly because it's a piece of junk, quite frankly. I just briefly saw it well, a few well, minutes of it. it, it I, I wouldn't use it as an historical source. No, it's way. not historical. A lot of misinformation in there, a lot of uh, dodgy facts. But um, but there was the report. I, I don't think Oliver's ever met a conspiracy theory that he didn't love. Didn't like, yeah, exactly. But there is, they, they did use... Um, uh, did use footage of, of actual news reporting uh, from the assassination, and JFK yeah. was uh, uh, was immediately described as shot and wounded, um, and rather like Shinzo Abe was on last Friday. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the election went ahead, Jack. The uh, seats in the Japanese parliament's upper house uh, with the LDP, which um, Shinzo Abe was from. Uh, there, uh, they won. Uh, won eight additional seats uh, and won a majority of the contested seats, um, but not enough to uh, take a single majority overall, so they will continue in coalition. Um, <coughs> yes, I mean, uh, Abe has been uh, has been eulogised uh, in the papers today, in Australian newspapers today. There's, there's, a, there's a piece from Tony Abbott. Um, uh, and I did notice Malcolm Turnbull had uh, taken to Instagram to uh, uh, basically praise uh, Shinzo Abe. Um, they were very similar. That's probably the first time they've uh, shared an opinion in, in common, Jack. Not since the days they were at the Bulletin, I think, about 25 or 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, they both had a great deal of time for Shinzo Abe. There are criticisms about him, of course, Jack. Um, he was a very reluctant person to acknowledge um, uh, Imperial Japan's uh, outrages uh, during World War II and and, uh, and into China um, and in Manchuria um, and uh, he sort of believed that uh, no apology should be given. He did, however, um, place uh, flowers uh, at uh, his film with Scott Morrison and so it must have been about two or three years ago, three years ago I would think where he was uh, placed uh, flowers at, uh, at the site of the Darwin bombing. Um, but generally speaking, that's been one of his criticisms, and that causes enormous ructions with China, doesn't it? You know, that, that um, 
you know, the Rope and Hand King wasn't all that bad and all that sort of stuff? Well, I don't think relations between Japan and China were um, uh, at their best when Abe was um, uh, was Prime Minister of Japan. Yeah. There were a, a lot of particularly... Well, I, haven't, I haven't read the Chinese press today, but I, don't, I can't imagine there's going to be uh, glowing eulogies for uh, Shinzo Abe in the, in the Chinese press. Well, there were, it was almost provocative. You, you might remember that during this time there were, you know, history textbooks uh, that were released yeah. for study within Jap- Japanese uh, high schools um, that, you know, um, basically just blanked over uh, uh, Imperial Japan's uh, some of the some of the worst some of the worst things they did occurred in China, uh, and uh, it just sort of glossed over them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like most politicians, um, uh, he wasn't probably all good or all bad. Yes, and there was. I mean, look, he's, I think he's the only Japanese prime minister to address uh, both houses of parliament in Australia. I think he did that, uh, and is considered. Uh, if we listen to the generally conflicting, but uh, but in this way unified opinions of Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull. Um, Shinzo Abe was a, was was an ally that we could rely, a leader of a, an allied country that we could rely upon. Yeah, and I think he's generally, um, I think the, the, the US political establishment probably views him pretty much the same way. Yes, all right. Yeah, um, even again, even amongst people who don't agree uh, um, themselves about much, they seem to tended to agree that he was a, mm. um, a, a useful ally and a good friend to their country. And we did see the rising sun cast on uh, onto the opera house, Jack. And uh, I, I, some people think these sim- symbolic uh, uh, sort of references like this. Uh, rather pointless. Uh, It it was said by the Japanese ambassador to to give the people of Japan great comfort. They're not actually bad things to do. I, 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 you know... Yeah, I I wonder how important they are, but there's been a hell of a lot of work being done uh, since the late 1940s to build a good relationship between Australia and Japan. Mm. Um, um, uh, uh, Right back to the, you know, the... The, the end of the Labor government and the start of the Menzies years um, that was uh, consistently worked hard at. Um, and, and some individual people made um, a great effort to help that along. I know that um, the wonderful Weary Dunlop um, yes. uh, um, uh, was an early uh, chairperson of the Australia-Japan Friendship uh, Group. Well, the political imperative was there, wasn't there? You, you, yep. you basically, you, you, Japan quickly flipped into being an ally yep. um, up against a new, a, a new enemy, and uh, and that led into the Cold War, uh, which uh, in some ways uh, sort of st- is still plaguing us. Um, all right, how much news is too much, Jack? Um, well, I don't watch that. Enough television to be able to tell you. Are you talking about the ABC twenty-four uh, hour news channel? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But I just, I just saw some uh, some some figures here. Channel 10's breakfast news show, which is an which is a national show, runs across Australia. Uh, the ratings are in, and and they've got a, 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 an estimated forty-four viewers. That's not forty-four thousand. It's not forty-four hundred. 
And it's definitely not 44 million. It's just 44 viewers in Sydney. They'll I'm be able to actually name them, you know, just speak to them personally. I'm always amused at the exactitude of these kind of figures. It's not 43. No. It's not 45. No. Yeah, we are dealing with an estimate. So it could be 30, could be 50, <laughs> might even be 60. But it's still pretty bloody low for television, isn't it? When I, when I read that the other day, I thought, are these all these people standing behind the camera in the in the newsroom, or was there, was there, was there anyone at home? Watching? I think we're talking about forty four unattached people who said, "I like the Channel Ten News Breakfast Show," um, and there, there's only forty of them in, in Australia. So, look, that, that show. What's wrong with cartoons? Why can't kids watch uh, some Warner Brothers cartoons or just put on some cartoons in the morning? Why do we have to have? Seven's, uh, well, Seven does Sunrise and Nine does Today. They all have fairly low numbers. That's and the, the a- first and the, a- the ABC's got one as well. What are they? The ABC about? has a Michael breakfast Rowland show as well. And it rates its, rates its socks off in relative terms. Yeah, in, so, ABC, in ABC terms, it rates its socks off. Well, they don't pay any attention, ratings, Jack. They don't, I know. They, yeah. don't, they don't look. When the ratings... When the ratings data comes in, they they don't even look at them. Um, Only if it's good. Um, <laughs> so, look, so a lot of these breakfast news programs that exist, there aren't that. The simple fact is, while the ABC, you know, when I say rates its socks off, it, it's comparable to the seven and nine um, ratings. Channel Ten, obviously, a long way shy of it. But these numbers are still pretty small. I mean, not a lot of people watch breakfast news. It's as simple as that. Um, And there are, it must be said, you know, this is one of the knocks on print journalism, of course, uh, and why people aren't buying newspapers, is that there are just so many other sources of news uh, that you don't need to sit down in front of a, uh, sit down in front of a television to get it. Well, I can't recall the last time I picked up a a print newspaper uh, of any kind um, and um, I, d- I don't often watch the television, but I do get lots of news from the screen. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, look, and that, that's probably true, but, but at the same time, we have our smartphones in front of us, and when we want to get some news, we're generally going to go to that or with our laptops in front of us while we're working. So what, what we're going to see is um, more immediate, um, definitely more informative, and less junk around these sorts of breakfast shows. Um, uh, <clears throat> well, they, they inevitably lapse into the, you know, the, the panel, you know, or the sitting around on the couch. What do you reckon about this stuff, which I really hate? Hmm. Uh, I, I find breakfast television just about unwatchable, but there you go. Yeah, that's just, just that's just me. Just yeah. junk, you know. And, and tell you, me why do why do especially given that the ABC keep telling people how much, how little money they have, how they're being starved of funds. Why are they spending all this money on a twenty four hour news channel, which I'm, I'm sure no one watches either? Well, the answer to that is you know you you tell me we'll both know, but the the. the I can simply tell our listeners that when the ABC24 project was was created, it was really slammed by staff uh, and some elements of management uh, <coughs> within uh, within the ABC broadcast, within the ABC itself. 
Um, and uh, oh, good place for Goss, Jack. It's a very good place for Goss. Get your Goss from your Soundies and your cameraman, and they'll they'll tell you just exactly what's going on in the place. Well, of course, some of the Soundies and cameramen lost their offices in order for these ABC24 studios. So there's some wreck self-interest in there as well. There was a little bit, but yeah. they were damned opposed to it all, and there was quite a lot of ructions in there. My concern about ABC24, I think it's 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 not... It's not a good spend. First off, let's start with the with the with the overall um, business of why is there this preponderance of television news? Um, uh, m- most of the networks outside of the ABC and the ABC too, they start running their news their their evening news program at three o'clock, and they'll have various bulletins throughout that. The ABC 24 at this time is doing some political analysis, then it'll drop to news for half an hour and so forth. So what we're, what we're seeing firstly is news on a loop. Yeah. Uh, news on a loop. So what you watch at 2 o'clock in the afternoon will be almost exactly the same as the news program that you watch at 7 o'clock. Why is it like that? Well, because it turns out that news is cheap. Television news is cheap. Uh, particularly when you're reusing news, which is kind of, you know, <laughs> contradictory in terms. Um, but, yes, so so basically we have all these news programs on our networks, on our national broadcaster, because they're cheap. And then we go to panel shows because <laughs> what precedes, um, what precedes uh, ABC News Bulletin in the evening is the drum, and that's even cheaper stuff to produce because you just get three or four people in a studio, or indeed even cheaper still, Jack, you just pop them up on a Skype and pop them up on Skype and they don't even have to leave their homes and they can tell you what they reckon. So we've got I, some- I rather like the drum because it's got a little bit more um, actual diversity than most programs on the ABC, but that's just me. Uh, I don't know. I find it unwatchable. Anyway, uh, and I used to be on it, Jack, uh, and I gave it the flick because it really was becoming tiresome. It... I can I can let our listeners into a little bit of a little bit of a, a secret on these sort of panel shows that before you attend them, they send you an email with a list of things that they'll be discussing with some with some URLs with some links to click on, and so you can read yourself up and become read yourself up and become an instant expert. I find that a little bit much, and so we get we are getting we're sort of veering into opinion. We're not just producing news shows which are. Um, hardcore reports on events, then we're getting into these panel shows which which allow um, a great deal of sort of opinion. Just, just a word of advice to our listeners. If you want opinions, tune in to us. Don't worry <laughs> with the ABC. There's nothing wrong with opinions. It just doesn't belong in news. It just speaking doesn't belong near or around news. Speak, um, speaking of news, I was just watching the, the Elbow press conference. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it was on this morning. Uh, and they've announced a big jobs and skills summit uh, ah. for September. Um, and I thought this was a fabulous idea. And I hope someone goes along and says, let's have more, let's have a few less fine arts graduates and gender studies graduates and get a couple more plumbers and carpenters out there. Um, uh, well, the construction business is, is, uh, is not too badly off. I mean, they're, they're, in, terms of, in terms of skills. I mean, the big skill... The big skill deficiency in Australia at the moment is in IT, Jack. 
And uh, and that's I my take... big skill deficiency too. I've been struggling since my IT director, otherwise known as our son, um, decamped to university in yeah, Sydney about six years ago. That must have been a blow. That must yeah, have been a blow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but look, IT graduates are walking out of uh, walking out of their out of university with their degrees in their hands and into the big money because there's a real shortage. But yeah, look, it's a great idea. I, I, I do like a summit, not because you know I know that I know the criticisms that will come forward. Oh, it's just a gab fest. Nothing will come from this. Some of these things can be gabfests, of course. Kevin Rudd had the what was yes. it? I was just going to say, as as long as it's not as laughable as Kevin's um, uh, uh, summit. What uh, was it all that about? It was planning for the future. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was an opportunity so Kevin could be down with the kids and sit on the floor and all that sort of stuff and but pretend when, that he was a. But a when you're talking dude. about jobs, when you're talking about jobs training, uh, where you've I got think, skills, I think, ex- I think it's an excellent plan. Yeah, I think it's an excellent idea, and and it'll get you know industry uh, employers, employees, uh, educators, everyone together in the same room and, and trying to figure it out, figure out uh, what the best what best pathway for. And we just might figure out that not everyone's got to get a university degree. You leave us degrees alone, Jack. I got one. Um, <laughs> well, I know I, I tried to get one, uh, and uh, and uh, didn't uh, didn't proceed. But it was fun. It was fun while I was there. Um, uh, Look, getting back to getting back to our uh, is too much news more than enough topic. The ABC twenty four thing. Well, it's not quite twenty four hours, is it, Jack? It's not twenty four seven because if uh, anyone with insomnia flicks over, flicks over to ABC twenty four at about two o'clock in the morning, they'll see Al Jazeera um, news programming. Uh, not that that's bad. Al Jazeera does some excellent work, uh, and and BBC reporting as well. So they're buying in a good five or six hours a day. Um, Look, if they if they bought in um, a whole lot of stuff and just ran a twenty four hour news service with a small part of it Australian, that would be fine. Yeah. But look, I, look, look, you know. The ABC are free to spend their money as they wish. It just doesn't make their case for getting more money very convincing when you're spending it all on a news program that no one watches. Well, when you do have a big money soak like ABC24, then base, what that means is that something's going to suffer along the line, something, particularly when they had a, you know experience of budget cuts in the last ooh, 10 years, really. Um, and, and so that means that that's less... Uh, local drama produced, less decent comedy produced. Um, the ABC does have some issues in terms of what it commissions now. I think historically it's had some very, very, made some very, very poor decisions around comedy. I think some of their stuff's okay these days because it it hasn't just left um, the commissioning in the in the hands of a couple of tried and true production companies um, and. Uh, and go-to production companies, I'd call them, um, uh, that meant that basically Andrew Denton and his wife were receiving vast amounts of money for uh, producing um, <laughs> two or three shows a week on the ABC. I think it's a bit better now, but the fact is that the pool is smaller because they do have an ABC24 uh, news channel. Um, yeah, it's well, cheap I think, to I think produce, I, I, but it's I, still I think we agree on this. Yeah, all right. Get into sport, Jack, uh, and we know that uh, <clears throat> that uh, the the loathed uh, Novak Djokovic 
um, has won Wimbledon again uh, and beaten uh, beaten Nick Kyrgios. It was sort of the battle of the not very likables, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah look, I get some I get some text messages from uh, from from mates, and they, they really don't like Nick at all. I, I, I don't have a problem with him. Um, and I know the Australian Sports Department, they really don't, don't seem to like him at all. He did have well, a bit of, he did have a few moments, didn't he? Yeah, there, there is a bit of history of this. I mean, we didn't much like um, Leighton Hewitt um, uh, in, early, in the early days of his career, and no one liked Andre Agassi at all in the early days of his career. You know, there was, there was kind of almost two Andres, wasn't there? There was Andre one, um, the brat from Las Vegas, and then there was Andre too after mm. he married uh, Steffi Graf, and he was a quite loved figure. Lovely bloke, lovely yeah. bloke by then. Yeah. But yeah, 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 no, he was the brash, loud, yeah, and he and, and hell of a good tennis player too. And Nick Kyrgios is, is, a, is a wonderful player, and good on him. You know, it's it's a pretty fair effort to, to make a Grand Slam, make a, a, a Wimbledon final. He got a fairly gentle uh, run in there when um, uh, when Rafa uh, pulled out of the semi. Uh, with an injury, but why is he such a polarising figure, Jack? I mean, isn't he isn't he Australian, and that's enough? Well, he, he, he might he might be a, a pretty well liked figure when he grows up a bit, but you know that's where he is. He's, he's sort of individual sports can do this to you. Twenty seven, you know? Jack. He's not, not sixteen. He's twenty seven. Yeah, but individual sports. You, you get hangers on uh, being yes people around you all the time. Team sports are better for persons personal development in that sense because um, you get a few of these edge, edges knocked off you by your teammates. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, look, I, I actually wish him well. I think he's going to go. Yeah. So do I. So do I. But he barely but, he, he barely whacks the ball out of the baseline. That's one of those things. He just he's got this incredible ability to return. Um, yeah, but whether he's going to be better liked, it depends on him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I also think that the, the the media do smell a bit of uh, blood in the water sometimes, and uh, they will well, go out. Undoubtedly, way that's true. I mean, it, you know, he, he fills column inches. You know, he, he yeah, grabs eyeballs. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's clickbait. Yeah, all right. State of origin this week, Jack. Get excited. Do you actually get that up in Hong Kong? They, they oh, send look, it up? We, we get a little bit of rugby league up here, but not as much as we used to. Um, so um, I find that a little bit harder to, to, to when I'm watching it because I, I don't know all the players the way I used to or know who they are. Um, well, it's easy, Jack. There's mobbing maroon jumpers and then there's a mobbing blue jumpers and, and yeah, you've got to hate one never quite sure which club they're from these days. And that's just because, you know, I mean, you I'd, I'd be lucky enough. if I yeah, you don't see enough of it, you know. Um, these days, just the way the, the broadcasting's done is we get a hell of a lot of AFL and very little NRL. So I remember when I first came up to Sydney, you know, the, 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 I'd go and watch a State of Origin in a pub and there'd be you know, places packed and... All that sort of stuff, and basically come up and slap them. Hey, uh, blues, mate, go, mate. I'm from Victoria. Really not not into this kind of parochialism. Well, I, I was actually born in New South Wales, so uh, I was born. Oh, you were born blue. Yeah, um, uh, and um, when I first went to moved to Sydney about the same time as you did, I had some good friends who were very keen to show me what the NRL was about. So I think about the first four or five. NRL matches I saw were all state of origin and from the good seats. Uh, uh, I had a uh, 
a nice introduction to it. Look, I think it's a fabulous bit of sport. There's just no doubt about it. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, and yeah. There's no doubt. Look, it, it is, uh, talking about television, it is the big raider outside of the AFL Grand Final. It is the big raider. Um, and and, and the, the pubs, country. even in Hong Kong, there'll be a lot of pubs pretty pretty busy because you can really only get it in the pub. There'll be a lot of pubs chock-a-block full of um, uh, sports fans watching State of Origin. Who wins? You, uh, well, I think it's 20 years since the Blues have won a decider in Brisbane, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I, 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 it, it doesn't look great up there, but they they really did smash uh, Queensland in Perth in the second half there. They really just ran over the top of them. And, yeah. and on paper, they're a better side. Um, but um, It's hard to win in Brisbane. Yeah, it's going to be hard to win up there. They're going to have beer and beer if they're lucky thrown over them uh, when they walk off the ground and when they walk onto it and so forth. Well, it, could, it could even be recycled beer. <laughs> yes. um, the, um, uh, anyway, it, it, one thing I'd like to see from the AFL, I decided after watching a fair bit of it this weekend, I'd like to see a special round of the AFL. What do you mean? Uh, where, where they all wore their normal jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> You know, without art. Plenty of time for that in the finals, Jack. Plenty of time for that in the finals. I am just over all the artwork, over all of the kit. I think we could just have a special round where everyone, you know, if you're an Essendon, if you're watching Essendon, it's black with a black with a red sash, you know, uh, you know, uh, and nothing love, drawn on it. You know, I just love the way Carlton went to the West Coast Eagles there and just said, we're, we're wearing navy blue. We're not yeah. wearing that. We're not wearing the clash jumper, yeah. and uh, and there were some concerns expressed by some of our fellows in Perth that said uh, Carp were being a bit arrogant um, in uh, and wearing the navy blue while the, the Eagles were wearing their royal blue and yellow. Uh, they were both in the traditionals. Um, Essendon had a uh, had a decent decent uh, uh, win uh, on the weekend. Um, well, I watched Essendon play St Kilda the other week and um, I think one of the first VFL games I saw was in 1965, so I was 10 years of age, um, was a grand final and they managed to manage not to confuse 100,000 people by wearing their normal kit uh, and I still don't see why they can't do it today. White shorts and black shorts. Yeah, white shorts and black shorts. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, there is the clash. I mean, you, for example, I'm just saying, well, Melbourne and Carlton, there's a clash right there. So they can't wear their, uh, they can't wear their dark their dark blue or the Carlton can't if Melbourne are going to wear their dark blue. Um, so they do have this clash space in it. Uh, and, and, of course, Port Adelaide aren't allowed to wear the prison bars at all because Eddie Maguire says so. Mm. And that's their original jumper, Jack. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Um, well, there's, uh, there's different views in the Port Adelaide community about that. Some of them say, no, that's the Port Adelaide Football Club, not the Port Power Jumper. So. Well, they're putting an application to, I think, uh, we're in the last round, and it might, I don't think it's a showdown, but um, um, but yeah, they're, they're putting the application uh, to, to wear the prison bars on one occasion this year because the AFL told them if you do it, Last time, last season, if you do it, uh, we'll take the points off you. Um, this time, they've asked very kindly, very nicely, if they could wear the wear the prison bar jumper, and uh, we're all just waiting here for Eddie Maguire to say no. Mm. Right. Good luck, Eddie.
<laughs> he doesn't have quite the same pull he does. All right, readers, letters, Jack. Oh, here we go. And this has come from listener Ben. And he said, just thought I'd share my two cents worth about the two Jacks, High Viz and Hard Hits episode. This is it. And I think he's referring to uh, episode 12. I must say that I don't always agree with Hong Kong Jack's take on things, but I do believe that it's good to be exposed to other points of view in this era of hyper-partisanship. Iconoclism should be encouraged, not stifle, I say. Well, there you go. That's nice, Jack. However, he goes on. However, there's always a however. Ben, I can assure you there's a hell of a lot of people who hardly ever agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) However, having said that, week two... Uh, of uh, of the uh, of the show, so let's go, Jack. Veer into reactionary Facebook boomer territory. Oh dear! Uh, disputing rising sea levels and fears of Pacific Islanders, as well as the melting of polar ice caps, sounded like something from Sky After Dark programming. A quick Google search shows that CSIRO, World Meteorological uh, Organization, and World Bank say differently. I did a quick uh, Google search too, or well, not a quick Google search, but I did do a good NASA. Uh, has some uh, fairly compelling statistics on the um, uh, on the Pacific coast of the United States, going from California all the way up to Washington, and uh, the actual measurements there are between twenty six and th- and, and thirty eight centimeters of coastal erosion every year for the last 12, Jack. Anyway, I could go on about his opinions, Ben says, about the melting of the ice caps, but I believe the other are okay. As to his opinions about the disruptive climate protests in Sydney the other week, the good citizens of Montgomery, Alabama and other southern US states also probably felt the same way about the equally illegal and disruptive civil rights protests in the 60s. Sometimes the boat needs to be rocked. We'll talk about that in a minute, Jack. Keep up the good work, says Ben, though I'd appreciate more evidence-based opinion from Hong Kong. Jack, there you go, Jack. Um, but um, we, we'll, we'll talk about these pro- disruptive climate protests, but we were talking about disruptive protests, and my view is that all protests uh, are disruptive, uh, and it's just that some are more, some are more so than others. Um, and... Uh, and we really have to kind of accept that um, that, uh, that there's going to be disruption. And when we talked about the climate uh, climate change protests some weeks ago, uh, there was a woman there who sort of basically uh, chained herself or restrained herself to her steering wheel, the car, and it meant that basically people couldn't get on from one entrance and go to the uh, Sydney Harbour Tunnel, which caused traffic chaos around Sydney um, uh, <coughs> and then we talked uh, on Friday Jack about Dutch farmers who are probably looking at existential threats but they were doing some very very dangerous things with their tractors driving through police cordons and so forth and it's hard not to be sympathetic with either party um, that's my point um, that we actually well, look look at these protests and, and say well we'd rather not be disrupted I don't want to be disrupted but when you do have protests, they're going to be, there's going to be disruption. That's the whole point of them. Well, I lived through um, a, a year of it here. Well, two, two separate years of it. That's three months the first time and, and a full year the second time. Um, and my view of it is um, uh, whatever the merits of your cause is, uh, um, uh, I, I just don't agree with it. Yeah, look, I get that. I get that's just a very strong view there. But yeah, look, um, 
the other thing that you have to say about protests is that, and, and, I'm, I'm and, not... and, and I might say, there's a wide distinction between a march in Selma um, uh, that was one Sunday afternoon and people trying to disrupt a whole city, using six people to disrupt a whole city, having six people glue themselves to the road mm. um, uh, at the corner of Flinders Street and um, uh, and um, uh, which, which, which intersection, Flinders Street Station there. Uh, I just think that's wrong, and I think the people who, yeah, I think the people who do that um, should be charged and, um, uh, and and feel the full consequences of the law. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, look, they're probably going to be detained. I mean, we saw this with the, the with uh, you know the, the anti lockdown protesters as well. I mean, same, same, same view of those as well. Health orders and all that sort of stuff, and I had some sympathy for them, but they they you know they they were disruptive. They Charged in on a number of occasions, charged through police cordons. I mean, I can't, I don't know what to tell you about. Once you char- go through a police cordon, look out, you know. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, look out. Sometimes a bit of old fashioned policing might be a good idea. Well, yeah, what, <laughs> Roger Rogers type? <sometime. laughs> no, no, but just a, a clip behind the ear mightn't hurt, you know. Oh, well. No, uh, I, no I, just, I just don't agree with protesting's changed over the last 20 years and I think it's been a wholly bad thing uh, and I think it should be um, uh, actively discouraged by use of the law. Yeah, look, I, I mean, in the end, what you've got is a, when, when a sort of mob congregates, regardless of their view, one, you're going to have disruption. Two, you're, that mob is going to have elements within it that are going to cause problems. You know I mean? It's just something that you almost have to accept. I mean, during some of these protests, some people would say, goes, don't we have any water cannon anymore? And I said, well, no, we don't. The last the last water cannon we had in, in, uh, in Australia was in, in uh, New South Wales, Jack, and they and they gave it to the fire brigade for training, I believe, uh, because they're highly dangerous. They're considered lethal, uh, and now they have lo- non-lethal methods like LRADs, Jack, and that caused all sorts of problems with the protesters because the uh, with the, the anti-lockdown guys because they uh, they thought LRADs were you know I don't know they, they got into some deep conspiracy there. But LRADs, woo! Have you ever seen an LRAD at work? Do they use them in Hong Kong? Uh, they've used almost everything here. We had the absurd situation here where you could, if you perched yourself up on a, on a on a covered walkway, which we have many in Hong Kong, you could watch the two sides kidding themselves up before. Yeah, um, we a, saw. A yeah, I've seen all the footage um, uh, of that. Yeah, it, it was it was like watching the two sides Put the pads prepare, on. prepare for medieval warfare. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and it's just wrong. I mean, it was a it was a wrong a wrong approach by um, by both the police and by the protesters here, in my view. Um, I, I remember talking to a couple of um, HK um, Hong Kong people there, uh, friends of mine, and and they were very very supportive of the protesters early on, and by, <laughs> with a bit of disruption thrown in about six months later, no, all gone. Yeah, well, that's that's sort of my view. Anyway, Ben, lovely to hear from you. You're right, I am a boomer. I don't feel particularly proud of being a boomer because that's just an accident of birth, but I'm very proud of um, the fact that um, my parents' generation, the people who produced the boomers, did build such a good life in Australia. 
All right, Jack, that's terrific. And by the way, and by the way, by the way, Ben, by, by the way, Ben, can I refer you to the ABC, seven January twenty twenty one, the University of Auckland study, uh, saying that the um, uh, the Marshall Islands and Kiribati, their coral uh, atolls have grown by up to eight percent over six decades. Not from Facebook, from the ABC. Oh, okay, Ben. Uh, well, there you go. And, and look, Ben, have a crack by all means. I can simply tell you that if you look at NASA, Jack, uh, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't mess with NASA. We know they're not mucking around. Uh, they are talking about uh, coastal erosion on the western continental I'll, United States. Very, very serious, Jack. Almost uh, or over a foot, over a foot, uh, over you, thirty you, centimeters you, from you the lived length. In double, you lived in Double Bay for a while. Um, uh, and, and, and just over the next headland, you'd be familiar with the big, the big house called Boomerang um, uh, that uh, Mark Reed paid for after a great sting on getting closer. Um, uh, I'll believe in rising sea levels when Boomerang's on the market for about £5.2 and 6 rather than £40 million. Well, that's a fucking long way from. Uh, that, I mean, that's in a harbour for a for a start. Mm-hmm. No, no, I shall send you the link of NASA's study. It's a it's Good. a measurement. Good. It's a measurement, so it's not a projection. It's a <laughs> measurement. Oh, it's not. It's, it's not one of these computer models. No, 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 they've got the tape <laughs> measure out, mate, and uh, and. And uh, it is actual stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Ben. We did thank you, Ben, for your um, for your. Uh, I, I actually went and looked at some material on coastal erosion in some of the South Pacific nations. They're saying that basically, yes, there's coastal erosion, and it, very often it'll find itself on the other. You know that what's taken away from one side of the island be left on another part of it. Um, um, but uh, but clearly. Um, we would which probably is, want to listen ha- to the, which to the good people of Kiribati who've had their cemetery had their cemetery flooded again uh, uh, sometime last year. But look, thank you for your letter, and we do look forward to listening to or to reading and reading on air all of your uh, criticisms, including you can be scathing about me and Jack. We can take it. We're big old blokes. And we can take punishment. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so please by all means drop us a line, and that is a wrap for uh, Hard Hats and High Viz episode 14. Thanks for your time, Jack. Cheers. See you, viewers. Talk later.